Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Today's guest is a very special guest indeed. He is Carlos Perez Verdia, a Mexican economist of note. Carlos was uh, an executive at the Central Bank of Mexico for some time, uh, an executive director at the International Monetary Fund representing Mexico, Central America, Spain, and Venezuela, and maybe that will come up as a topic. Uh, he held various positions including head of advisors to the president in the Peña Nieto administration. That was the last administration in Mexico, not the current one, and is now with Symbiosis Economica. Uh, Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I've been waiting to speak with you for over a year now, and we finally get a chance. Listen, I wanted to start by uh, by asking you, you know, something. Mexico's brand hasn't been doing all that well of late in the international press, particularly in the United States. I've lived here for 22 years. I think it's a fantastic country for all its faults, uh, but few outside the country uh, really get more than a distilled image of narcos and corruption, beaches and mariachis. I wanted to ask you, what's the prevailing sentiment in Mexico uh, for the future? Well, I mean, I, Mexican people love it too, Mark. We're, we're very aware of our challenges, but we're also very proud uh, of our heritage, of who we are. 120 million people, so it's hard to pinpoint what the average opinion would be. Uh, huge territory. And, and I think we are very aware of what um, the outside world is reading because, to be frank, and, and this is not unusual, what most people read about is what's extraordinary, what's not happening in their country or, or what calls for attention. And crime and violence is a huge thing that we're dealing with. Um, having said that, I think you can see the world and the numbers are telling you that the world is still looking at Mexico as a great place to come and vacation, to invest. We you know we're top five destination country for tourists or one of the countries with the largest inflow of direct investment. So I think even outside, people are being able to see what's not going well and where things are working. Yeah. I mean, if you were to point to a couple things that uh, that were really going well in Mexico, or say over the last 10 years, let's give it a bit of scope here. What what would you point to? I mean, Mexico has gone from a rural um, country, you know, producing mostly, you know, rural uh, goods to being urbanized, much like a lot of the developing world. But then we've become a huge powerhouse, I think, for, for manufacturing, one of the top manufacturers of automotive, um, um, amazing natural resources that I think we're exploiting uh, favorably to, to benefit the, the whole country. And, you know, so those are sort of, if you look at the econ part, I think socially, uh, you know, we've done an outstanding job at 
dealing with, say, poverty, the numbers are still huge and nothing to, to be proud about. But, you know, when you're pulling uh, literally millions of people out of extreme poverty, um, you know, there's something there to, to look at and be proud of. We need to do better. We need to do it faster. But uh, I think, you know, if you say what's the best thing that's happened in the 10 or 20 past years, I would say that you know, bringing people, you know, into out of poverty, more into lower classes. Education is something that's not being doing that badly. We need to do better again. But I think uh, that's where the highlights are in yeah. society. Yeah, there's lots. I mean, I've been here for 22 years, as you know, and I've seen the changes since I've been coming to Mexico in the early 90s, and they are quite in, quite incredible. I mean, all the good things and, and the bad things. One thing that I've noticed here, though, in that's quite different in other countries and i think that people don't it's hard to appreciate if you're not here even if you're a foreigner and you are here is the way in which uh mexican politics uh you know really dominates uh the news and discussions on how things get driven forward you know as opposed to say in the united states where there's a lot more private uh, business interests and i'm just wondering how has how have politics changed uh, over the last, you know, 20 years or so since they've had, since we've had relatively free elections here in, in Mexico? It, it is a much more competitive thing. Uh, you know, the, there is, I think, a, a vibrant democracy with the faults of democracy everywhere. And then some, let's call them um, local uh, things that need to, to be fixed. Uh, you, you said mostly free and, and I would agree. Uh, you know, there are still some things to, to do there. But, you know, it's they people roll up their sleeves and, and go for it to, to get elected. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look at United States and you look at a lot of the policies that are being influenced or affected there, you, you might be tempted if you were a cynic to say, hey, this is uh, vested interest politics, basically you know, large economic vested interests, you know, really uh, dominating the debate. What, what do you think are the main power drivers now in Mexican politics? So let me just stand back for a while. I, I think, you know, this vested interest story is, is always interesting. And of course, it draws attention. But you know, once you're once you're in government and, and not directly involved in politics, you see that economic power is one power, but it's not necessarily uh, always uh, in agreement and aligned with, you know, whoever's in government or, or their bedfellows. I mean, there's a very love-hate relationship there, as there is with other powers. <laughs> the church, the press, um, you know, the, obviously the citizens. Um, so, so it's not only as bad. Mexican politics, uh, I think at the heart of what drives it is still culture and, and geography. Um, you know, by name, I think we're a federalist republic, but in, in fact, uh, it's still very centralized. And maybe if you would say where, you know, pinpoint where the fireworks come from, <laughs> I think it's, the, it's a centuries old confrontation between liberals and conservatives as it is in other places, you know, with, you know, maybe more mariachi music and, um, you know, uh, shouting, which is typical to, to of Latin countries and, and, and a lot of passion. But, uh, you know, I think it is this 
confrontation still going on. No. <laughs> it's, it certainly and we can is. talk about what this means, liberal and conservative nowadays, right? But, uh, well, yeah. I, well, why don't we why don't we just do that before we take a small break? But it, when you say uh, liberal, uh, conservative, define that a little bit in, in, as far as you might contrast it against what's going on in the United States. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you, you know, if, if you if you know Mexican history, you know, liberal and conservatives comes to mind, say, early 19th century church and royalty versus, say, the, the republic. You know, fast forward <laughs> 250 <laughs> years. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're still debating whether it's, say, a one party rule of centralized uh, power, you know, call that the conservative versus a, a liberal democracy of free markets, small state, individual freedoms. Um, the clash is still very much there. Um, we haven't we haven't moved on to the you know the big divisive topics, say in the U.S. of um, you know abortion or gun laws or you know whatever the big issues there are i think we're still trying to figure out what our democracy looks like and, yeah. and it's an ebb and flow between you know what we were used to for centuries of a very strong ruler sometimes in spain sometimes in the pyramids then a mix of both dictatorship with porfirio diaz um to you know having people take their destiny in their hands well, it's been an interesting ride ever since, uh, you know, uh, President Fox took over. What was that in 98? 2000. 2000. Okay, so I was close. Uh, and, and so I think it's been, I mean, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, in Mexico, that's, it, it's not been that long since this, you know, the confrontation of control versus like, let it all out and, and see where the marbles land kind of liberalism. Uh, and a, a lot of people don't get that. Um, it's a new, uh, I guess it's a new democracy in many ways. It is a very young democracy. You know, we, we started the, the 20th century with a 20-year war that was only able to finish once a one-party rule system was institutionalized for 70 years. Um, you know, so there was change of power, etc. But you know, there wasn't much of a competition yeah. there. Um, so, yeah, so in fact, I think, you know, we've had maybe three, four precedents um, that have been really, truly um, elected and, and fought hard to, to get where they are. Well, uh, you know, I know some people would contest that freely and truly elected, but nonetheless, hey, listen, let's take a little break right now. Uh, uh, we're speaking with economist Carlos Perez Verdia about all uh, things Mexican. We're going to listen to a little bit of Julieta Venegas, uh, Lima, we saw. Yo te quiero con limón y sal, yo te quiero tal y como estás, no se falta cambiarte nada. Yo te quiero si vienes o si vas, 
si subes y bajas si no estás seguro de lo que sientes Tengo que confesarte ahora Nunca creí en la felicidad A veces algo se le parece Pero es pura... Well, that was Julieta Venegas, Limon, Limon y Sal. Uh, and we're speaking with economist Carlos, Carlos Perez Verdia about all things Mexico. Uh, Carlos, uh, we were talking a little bit about the future. Um, and I know this question isn't on the question list I sent you, but I wanted to ask you, It's true that the Mexican government depends uh, quite a lot on petroleum revenue. Uh, what's going to happen when the world moves to being carbon neutral, which looks like it's going to happen pretty rapidly during the next decade or so? The, the dependence has been diminishing. It's still a huge chunk of the budget, 30, 30%. That would be the, um, the national budget national federal federal government federal, yeah, federal okay. government budget but which which makes up almost a hundred percent of a national budget again mm -hmm. something very centralized um and and it's been more by force than by choice you know the the reserves have been dwindling uh we hit a jackpot uh with a huge huge oil uh find a couple decades ago that's run out That's gone dry, um, which is just as well. It's a mixed blessing, um, and you know at the same time your your population has kept growing and your your needs are, are huge. Um, but we still have one of the lowest uh, intakes of tax, uh, not not just um, you know compared to say OECD countries, but even in Latin America we have very very small taxation. So I you know this it's a big push. The government has been. And, and across parties and for many years pushing towards raising more taxes. And we still have controversial issues like not taxing, say, uh, food or medicines. Um, you know, so you get a lot of distortions coming from that. So I think, you know, need is going to prevail and, and the government will have to, to, to do what is necessary to come up with the goods. No, well, I mean... I was uh, reading uh, in the New York Times the other day that uh, they feel, you know, some economists feel like the carbon economy is going to wind up in the next 20 years or so. I, I don't know if you know anything about it, but, you know, what, what other kinds of uh, energy uh, is Mexico pursuing? I mean, obviously solar might be a, an interesting option for no, such a yeah, I do. sunny I, country. I, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's hard if you're in the business of say, uh, finance or economics in, in Mexico, it's hard not to come across the energy sector and especially now a, a booming renewables market. Uh, you know, we, we are very, very wealthy on, in wind, uh, geothermal, solar, of course. And, you know, the good thing about that, it's not, it's not going to go away. There's, it's always no. <laughs> going to be sunny and, and blowing uh, around here. Um, and there's some... There's been some really big investments, uh, private mostly. Uh, the current government, I, I think, is still struggling with, with the idea of private participation in the energy sector. 
Um, you know, but but our matrix, I think, our energy matrix is is uh, moving more towards uh, clean and renewable. Um, we we are on top of a huge uh, reservoir of gas that we share with uh, the U.S. on the Texans border, the, the Permian Basin, um, which is so big, Mark, that you know, at one point last year, prices for gas were negative. They were paying you to take the gas away. That's how. That's oh, how big it is. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, we'll keep moving. You know, and yeah. and we face the challenges that everyone faces with renewables. How do you store it? How do you make a grid that's dependable? Right. Right. Um, Etc. You know? Well, I, what happens I, when it's cloudy? I. I well. <laughs> According to some, we don't get to watch TV while that's happening. But um, one of the things I'd like to see, and I don't know if you know anything about it, we could just skip over it if you do. I'd love to see community grids of, of solar. I mean, we've seen it even if they can do it in Britain, which is where it's being pioneered. I'm sure we can do uh, mini grid solar here in uh, in Mexico. But it, it strikes me as going, you know, as being part of a, a larger conversation where. You're talking about the controlling central government versus the crazy liberal dispersed kind of uh, government because really power has been uh, a, a national, an important national issue for since ever in Mexico, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very aware of the, the community driven uh, model. What I do know is that people that pay huge electricity bills, because luckily they can afford to pay huge electricity bills have been moving towards having solar cells right. at home right. and pumping that energy back into the system right. and getting reimbursed. Uh, and that's, that's a huge um, yeah. Yeah. thing. That's well, no normally where there's a utility in a grid, there's a control issue. And that's, I think that's one of the issues that the community mini grids are start having to deal with because like the vested interest and this is more true United States and, and probably Britain to a lesser extent uh, that they're dealing with there. So anyways, let's, let's move on. One of the things I want to ask you, because I know people are going to be, are kind of waiting for this question to come up is, you know, what, we know that there's corruption in, in every, every, every country, uh, some more than others. And Mexico has that brand. And, and I'm just wondering, I've run into it here and in, uh, institutionalized corruption. And I'm just wondering, in your experience, what are some of the most effective measures uh, that countries can take against institutionalized corruption? I think it's very easy answer, Mark. It's through institutions. Getting there is not easy, but I think the you know the answer, and, and this is not something new. Mexico, you know, we had huge macroeconomic issues in the 80s and the 90s. Some of your listeners might remember that. And how did we, you know? get over that well we did it through creating institutions an independent central bank budget uh you know that revisions that go through congress etc so i think you do the same exact thing uh through institutions um to fight corruption well if that's true how do you get you know non-corrupt institutions so let me tell i'm not an expert worldwide on this issue, but let me tell you what we have been doing in Mexico, which I think is very interesting. And it started, you know, decades ago because that's what it takes to build institutions. So uh, 15 years ago, President Calderon took the 
big decision of, you know, overhauling the whole criminal justice system. Because what you need at the end of the day, one of the things you need is the rule of law. So we've moved, you know, believe it or not, in the 21st century, very, very proud now that we have oral trials for, you know, criminal justice. Uh, and before, all you need to know about what the Mexican system looked like was if you read Kafka's book, you know, The Endless Trial. And, and justice just never knew what was going on, what was presented as evidence, what were the judges thinking. So that's one big thing that then got carried on and uh, really uh, pumped up with the uh, President Peña Nieto's administration. Um, and it's ongoing and it's going to take a lot of years to teach judges and prosecutors how the system works. Um, second step, we did uh, independent prosecutor's office, uh, which was years in the making, fraught with politics, but eventually now President Lopez Obrador has named an independent prosecutor. And I think the third and final one is a lot of citizen involvement, a lot of watchdogs. And it's easy to say, but of course, you know, you can't have NGOs uh, going about their business if there's, say, no information for them to, you know, to act on. So the first thing, and this was years ago, you know, going back to the early 2000s, you mentioned President Fox, which started with the new transparency and accountability laws. So, you know, you build this system that creates institutions. And there's always a flux. Uh, you know, you, you sometimes advance rapidly and then you fall back. So that's my, that would be my bet. No. Um, yeah. And and then you have to address, I think, let me just say this, Mark, you know, when you say it's institutionalized corruption um, and having been in government only for, for six years, I think I can tell you that it's not institutionalized in a way where you would think it's done everywhere and by everyone. Right. right. I still think it's a minority, but it's sometimes very much where it hurts the citizens the most right permits licenses traffic violations right, right so you know and and for that you need to put in a lot of money to you know pay your government workers well yeah yeah so they have something to lose by getting exactly yeah, exactly a you know and it's not just going to jail or you know it's a career it's a savings plan um you know and it's yeah. an education yeah yeah, I think, I, you know, if you look at it from the outside, it always seems a lot simpler to solve, but these things do take a long time. And it sounds like, I mean, from our uh, first uh, first few questions, it sounds like there's a lot of momentum going the right way, certainly in Mexico on a lot of issues and energy and, and, and corruption. So I, I just want to bring, it brings, brings me kind of my last question is, um, you know, a lot of the listeners are in the United States or Europe and, and, and they're wondering, you know, what, what's going to be the future uh, relationship between the United States and Mexico with, what, with all the immigration issues going on? And, and let's think uh, both uh, as a result of what the Trump administration has been doing and, and what happens after him, uh, hopefully after 2020, but maybe uh, 2024. What, what what do you think more broadly are going to be the, the the characteristics of the relationship between Mexico and the United States? So the the underlying uh, you know phrase has always been for the Mexico U.S. relationship is the poor Mexico 
Right. So far from God and so close to to the United States, that, you know, you've heard that to to, yeah. to which to which the you know the Israeli Prime Minister responds, "Oh, what you know, Israel would give an arm and a leg to have a border with the United States." You know, and the Mexican president says, "Yeah, a mile of border, but not." 3,000 kilometers. It's a big border. It's a, it's a border with the most powerful and economically strong um, military uh, power in, in the world. So, so it makes for a very complex relationship now and I think always. So when you say, what's the future going to look like? I think it's going to be still very complex. Um, it will continue to be that. Uh, but I think for sure that there will be more integration. And we've been seeing that. We've been seeing that you know, over the past few decades once our countries started looking like what they look like now geographically. We, once we got over, you know, who owns what part of whose territory, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we, we are bound by the hip on migration, on security, on trade. Uh, and they're all interdependent and we cannot deal with that. So yes, we'll have different precedents. Some of them will be more vocal than others on what it means. And some will try, I think, and maybe stop or divert disintegration, but it has to happen. Um, you know, we, we depend too much on each other. And it will still be, Mark, I think for sure, it will continue to be an uneven relationship. You know, we're talking about, again, the number one economy in the world compared to the number 12. So not so small, but we're, you know, far from being number one. And by the middle of the century, we'll be maybe, Mexico will be number six or seventh in terms of GDP. But the U.S. will still be number one. Well, or, um, number, or so, probably number two. <laughs> or maybe number two. I think maybe still number one. I'm, that's why I only go as far as 2050. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, so complex, and I, you know, um, incredibly close ties between between some people in the United States. Yeah. You know, there's 30 million people of Mexican origin living in the U.S. Yeah, that's uh, not that's huge. You yeah. know, it's not something that you uh, unwind easy. All those personal interrelationships, as well as. You know, the growing cultural uh, similarities in many, many states, particularly, I, you're, you're right, it's going to be a very complex relationship. One that uh, I think America would do better to, or United States rather, would do better to, to put a little more effort into understanding all the great things in Mexico and not just uh, looking at its faults. Carlos, I wanted, to, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. It's been extra special for me talking with you. No, thank you, Mark. It's it's been fun, and I know uh, we had been talking about it for many months. So here here it is, um, yeah. and I hope as we as we wind up, you're not getting over my microphone the audio of the person selling tamales right outside my home. <laughs> well, that's so one of the one, that's one of the wonderful things uh, that you get in Mexico that you some don't sometimes don't find in other other countries. Listen, our guest today has been Carlos. Perez Verdia, he's a Mexican economist and former executive at the Central Bank of Mexico International Monetary Fund 
and advisor to President Peña Nieto. He's now with Symbiosis Economica. Thanks again, Carlos. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.